Recently, I was driving to work and listening to an episode of the podcast, Savage Love, which is a sex and relationship advice show that's hosted by Dan Savage. In case you haven't heard of him, Dan Savage came out as a gay man in his teens in the early 1980s and is a longtime advocate of LGBT rights and causes, among many other causes I personally feel are worthy of support. It's well known that he's also an atheist, kind of the militant sort. He was, however, raised in an extremely devout Catholic family. He went to a Catholic school for boys considering becoming priests, as he himself was. His parents were an ordained deacon and a lay minister. He considers himself culturally Catholic, in the same sense many secular people of Jewish heritage consider themselves culturally Jewish. On the podcast episode, he played a question from a caller who identified herself as a married 30-something cis lesbian who'd been having more arguments with her wife recently. Her wife was raised Catholic, but had, quote, confirmed to me over the entirety of our relationship that she is not Catholic or religious and doesn't believe in the Christian God or the Jesus narrative, end quote. However, they live in a country where you not only have to register your religion with the government, you have to pay a church tax. The caller was incensed that, at a recent family funeral, her wife took part in the Catholic rituals. The caller argued with her afterward that this was inappropriate. The caller did take a moment to explain that her wife, quote, sees the church as a more spiritual place for calm and reflection. She refuses to give up the rituals, saying they make her feel a part of the community, end quote. Her question to Dan at the end was, how do I make my wife see that taking part in these Catholic rituals is actually subscribing to the religion and harmful as a non-Catholic queer person? And that's where it got real interesting. Without a pause, Dan said curtly, I am your wife. He got heated up. Dan, who has a tendency to refer to God as a magical sky friend, who thinks religion is terrible and God ruins everything. He went on to explain all the Catholic rituals and traditions he himself continues to observe. And you could tell he was offended. He was upset that the caller would try to take away from her wife something that makes her wife feel calm, centered, and connected to the generations of her family. His rant flowed from anger to empathy for the caller, and back to anger, and in the end, back to empathy for both of them. And I may have slow clapped at a stoplight when he was done. And then I paused the audio so I could say out loud to no one, Hasn't anybody ever heard of Unitarian Universalism? <laughs> when people ask what kind of church I go to, I tell them. I say those ten long syllables. Almost invariably, they respond, what's that? A lot of these folks are the sort who would, in theory, probably be really into the principles of UU. And they're savvy people. They're knowledgeable about the world. They read, they listen, they pay attention, they're curious, they're very online. And yet, even if they've actually heard of UU, they have no idea what it really is. Some of them don't go to a place of worship, but they might consider it. Some of them go, and they find the religion's doctrines relatively harmless, but not something they believe is truth. 
Some of them even, even join religions they disagree with vehemently, but they keep quiet about this and show up because they don't want to lose their connections to the rituals, traditions, the activities, their heritage and the sense of community and belonging. I was tootling around online recently, I'm also very online, and happened upon a blog post by Jonathan Charks, an evangelical Christian who was raised UU. He writes, most Americans are Unitarian Universalists. They just don't know it. Only 0.3% of Americans identify as members of the denomination, but its belief system has come to define our culture. The central message of the UU Church is that you can believe anything you want, except that there are objectively right and wrong beliefs. Now we know this isn't exactly the case that you can believe whatever you want, or there'd be no point in having seven principles. But he goes on to explain, I didn't remain in the UU church as an adult. In fact, only 12.5% of kids raised in the church end up staying. That's because it's already the default option in American life. Why go on Sundays if you live it 24-7? Why go on Sundays if you live it 24-7? You may have heard of something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It's a psychological theory, obviously, that's the thing I'm kind of into, that attempts to explain what motivates people. The idea is that there are levels of human need starting from the most fundamental for survival, then increasing in complexity to include psychological needs, then self-fulfillment needs. One need or another may be dominant at any given moment, and we must have our most basic needs sufficiently addressed in order to focus on complex needs. For example, it's extremely hard to focus on the need for creativity when you don't have financial security, or the need for self-confidence when you're hungry, or the need for a sense of belonging when you're desperately trying to find a restroom. These are the different stages of needs in Maslow's theory, more specifically. Physiological needs, safety needs, love and social needs, esteem needs, cognitive needs, aesthetic needs, self-actualization, and finally, transcendence. Doesn't a place of worship encompass all of these? Let's drill down on this. Physiological needs and safety needs. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm reasonably certain I'm not wrong, that the UU Church has less money than the Catholic Church. <laughs> but the Catholic Church is a pretty good example of how churches fulfill physiological and safety needs by doing things like funding major hospitals, food banks, and homeless shelters. Neshoba may not be uh, uh, opening a hospital in the near future, but we certainly do our part. Room in the Inn, for instance. Why go on Sundays? Mostly to participate in an organization that helps others with these needs when our own needs are already met. But if you found yourself hungry, homeless, in need of a job, unable to pay your electric bill, don't you think someone at Neshoba would step up and help you? Even a member you hardly know. Of course, someone would. Love and social needs. We've heard so much lately about the epidemic of loneliness. That's such a huge and complicated topic. So let's focus on men for just a moment. Hear me out. 
men have problems. <laughs> Let me throw some statistics at you. About 15% of American men report having zero close friends. For men under 30, it's 28%. Even those with one, two, or three close friends report feeling nearly as lonely and isolated as those with zero. So now we're at 49% of men. And they report feeling less emotionally connected to these friends if they have them. A study found that one major factor contributing to this loneliness, especially among younger groups like millennials, is lack of a religious involvement. And just look at all the men here. We even have a men's group. We could have something like a father's group. Esteem needs. Essentially, this means the need for respect from others and for self-respect. This comes from experiences that help us learn about ourselves, what we're capable of, and what our strengths are. It also involves the possibility for others to recognize this in us, for us to provide respect and recognition for others. This is part of our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And Neshoba gives us the opportunity to fulfill esteem needs. Our religious exploration programs are a prime example of the opportunity to learn about ourselves and support this learning in others. We're given many avenues to build and demonstrate our strengths and our talents, um, from frequent activities, such as Wednesday Night Life, when it's not canceled, to annual events, such as the very brilliant youth-led service a couple of weeks ago. Now we get to the self-fulfillment needs. Those are psychological, physiological needs. There are few institutions in society that deliberately hone in on these needs, quite like a place of worship. Cognitive needs, creativity, curiosity, seeking information, finding meaning. I don't know if I even need to explain how a church, especially our church, helps with those. Aesthetic needs, appreciating the beauty of the world. Look behind me. I don't know about you, but half the time I'm sitting out there, I'm looking out the window. Or at the flowers, or at the artwork, or at the candles, or at the gong. Self-actualization. Maslow defined this very simply as, what a man can be, he must be. It's feeling as though you're realizing your full potential as a human being. One can understand this as identifying values and clarifying goals that nestle comfortably within those values, then investing your energy toward achieving these goals. I have a busy life, and I see going to church as giving myself the chance to set aside the time and the space where I can focus on setting a foundation for self-actualization. <clears throat> Finally, the peak, transcendence needs. This is also called spiritual needs. As time went on, Maslow actually began to rethink the self-actualization need. He started to see the real pinnacle of human needs as a need to move beyond oneself. I was trying to figure out a good way to define transcendence for you. I spent like 10 full minutes on it. And then I threw up my hand and rolled my eyes at myself because I'd say a pretty spot-on definition is respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Wow, was that so hard? 
So basic needs, physiological needs, self-fulfillment needs, we've got it all covered. But we've probably all seen or read the news lately, sometimes with tones of alarm, about the rise of the re religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, so to speak. See what they did there? Nuns. Atheist, agnostic, and the largest group of nuns, nothing in particular. Nuns make up around 23% of Americans, and they've been rising fairly steadily in numbers. If the trend continues, it's predicted that by 2070, up to half of Americans may be nuns. And the nuns aren't a monolith either. The nothing in particular group especially is diverse. In stark contrast to atheists and agnostics, the nothing in particular group has more people of color, more women, a wider range of the political spectrum, and a wider range of the education spectrum. We welcome diversity, right? These are the nuns least likely to have negative views about organized religion, and a quarter of them are actually members of churches. These folks are nothing in particular, but they could be something in particular. Dan Savage's listener's wife could be registered with the UU Church. Hey, Dan Savage and his husband could be sitting in our super comfy new blue chairs. I know many people um, disillusioned with society, lonely, feeling lost, looking for meaning, wanting to contribute, full of compassion, who could be here, if they only knew. They ought to know.